Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I am Julie Douglas. You know, the universe is out there just waiting for us to explore it. And as we explore it, of course, we're going to ravage it for resources when appropriate, when we need it. Because we're going to need stuff out there. We're going to need to build things. We're going to need to drink things, eat things, Mm -hmm. live on things. So it's all up for grabs. We need to terraform, you know? We need to get out there and really start to get some real estate out there. As far as we know, there are no extraterrestrials. There's no one to dispute our claim. So it's all ours. (laughs) You think, you think. Yeah, I mean, actually, we are going to talk about something that has been in the news quite a bit, asteroid mining. And just recently, NASA announced that starting next month, six astronauts are headed to the NASA Extreme Environment Mission Operation, NEMO, the underwater habitat off the Florida coast that will serve as a simulator for the long-duration mission to an asteroid. Yeah, this is pretty amazing stuff. Just to give a quick rundown of our history exploring asteroids, I should point out that the first spacecraft to take close-up images of asteroids was NASA's Galileo in 91. Mm-hmm. It also discovered the first moon to orbit an asteroid in 1994. In 2001, after NASA's NEAR spacecraft intensely studied the near-Earth asteroid Eros for more than a year from orbit, mission controllers decided to try and land a spacecraft on it. Although it wasn't designed for landing, NEAR successfully touched down setting the record of the first craft to successfully land on an asteroid. Mm-hmm. 2006, Japan's uh, Hayabusa became the first spacecraft to land on and take off from an asteroid. Show offs. And then NASA's Dawn mission, launched in 2007, began exploring Vesta, the asteroid, in 2011. And that brings us pretty much up to modern times. Yeah, and uh, Japan's uh, Hayabusa also took samples from oh, that yes. asteroid, too, which we're going to talk about. So it also managed to loot it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, a little now, bit. Now, what is an asteroid, right? An asteroid is a small, airless, rocky world revolving around the sun. Mm-hmm. They're too small to be called planets. Some of them are also called planetoids or minor planets. And in total, all of them combined, their mass is less than that of Earth's moon. It's true. It's true. And they are found between Mars and Jupiter. And the idea is that when Jupiter was a new world, we had the formation of the solar system about 4.6 billion years ago, Jupiter prevented any planetary bodies from forming between that gap of Mars and Jupiter. Mm -hmm. And that created this asteroid belt, this bit of debris of the leftover material. Yeah, it's kind of like when you're baking a cake or something or making some bread. There are always going to be little leftovers, right? Yeah. And we all know that sometimes the leftovers are actually more delicious than the finished baked good itself. Which means your finger wants to dock those leftovers and bring it to your mouth to taste it. Right. And basically that is what we were talking about. Yeah, there is some some wonderful stuff in these leftovers that could certainly be of use to us. For instance, there's platinum. Yes. Which I have the data here on how much that would worth. Oh, yeah. It's only worth $1,500 an ounce. Oh, yeah, yeah. And when we don't have the exact math on it, you're talking about trillions of dollars worth of platinum. The potential to mine trillions of dollars of platinum from these asteroids. Then you have gold which mm-hmm. we all love, of course, and is also useful in the circuitry and other methods that beyond mere jewelry. Right. And then there are rare earth minerals. There's water, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound all that amazing at first because you're thinking, well, we have water here. 
But if we are planning to eventually move out into space and to explore the cosmos, Mm -hmm. we're going to need more water, and we're going to need water from sources that are closer at hand than the home world. So we could conceivably harvest it from these rocky planetoids. Right. And then we could also use the hydrogen and oxygen from that water to produce fuel for our spacecraft. Right, right. So basically you would have all these materials available to you in space, right? You wouldn't have to hike them from Earth to yeah, space. Yeah, because if you, especially if you're bringing it from the planet's surface, you're talking about the cost of traveling yeah. to orbit with it. Yeah. You need a heavy lift vehicle for that. And then you're going to have to transport it the rest of the way to wherever you are it's a classic example of the supply chain. Yeah. Far better to obtain goods and water and foods or whatever along the way than to ship it all the way to you. I read somewhere that one liter of water is basically worth $20,000 in space. Yeah. So, you know, that availability of that specific water there. Okay, so there are a lot of people who are trying to round up these asteroids, or thinking about it, I should say. And one of the big players is a company called Planetary Resources. Co-founders of Planetary Resources are Peter Diamandis. Diamandis. He created the really successful XPRIZE Foundation that Mm -hmm. gives awards to accomplishments in technology, particularly space. And Eric Anderson, XPRIZE board member and chairman of the Board of Space Flight Federation. And then several ex-NASA engineers, an astronaut, some planetary scientists, and then just like a a little gaggle of billionaires. Um, Filmmaker James Cameron, Google executives Larry Page, Eric Schmidt, so on and so forth, Ross Perot Jr. On one hand, we have people with more money than they know what to do with. Right. People with a lot of money who are dreamers. I mean, certainly James Cameron is a great example of somebody with lots of money mm-hmm. and in some very heartfelt ideas about where we are in the world and where we could go from here. So, yeah. so there's that. And then you have the XPRIZE individuals and the XPRIZE mindset of let's stir up commercial interest in space. Mm-hmm. Let's get this going. Let's get people interested. Let's get these projects moving mm-hmm. because that is the future of space travel. It's like the X-Men of asteroid mining, I guess you could say, right? Okay. Um, yeah. In a way. I mean, what you have is you've got the vision, you've got the money, and you've got the know-how. That's right. why we wanted to mention all these different names and the people who are involved in this, just to give you guys an idea of how very serious this actually is, that this will be happening probably very soon. And they have a game plan. Three phases. The first phase is Acrid 100. That's the spacecraft series, uh, Acrid 100 series. And they're planning to launch this in 24 months. Mm-hmm. This is a series of crafts would be basically a space telescope-based system aimed at identifying possible targets for exploration. So phase one, Acrid 100, is all about let's get some telescopes up there mm-hmm. so that we can figure out where we want to target, where we want to go. Yeah, they're cutting metal on that right now, so yes. that's happening. And then the next phase is the 200 series, and that is about propulsion. That's about getting these crafts, these various spacecrafts, to those asteroids that we picked out in phase one. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there comes the 300 series. And in the 300 series, we consist of swarms of robotic spacecraft that complete the prospecting and begin to extract the water or platinum or gold or what have you from these asteroids and bringing them back home. So phase one find them, phase two, travel Mm -hmm. to them, phase three, prospect and bring it back. Right. These are a series of calculated smaller missions, which are going to build up to that ideal, which is that swarm of robotic craft. And they're hitching a ride on all of this. They're not developing a spacecraft. The idea from the get-go is let's hitch a ride on NASA spacecraft or whatever is available. We're not having to develop as much technology on our own. We're bringing in technology from this company, from this company, and Mm -hmm. we're building something. We're building something, getting it out there, 
in completing these phases. And they're not going to mine it right away. They want to tap it for volatiles, materials with low boiling points, such as mm-hmm. water, oxygen, nitrogen, and so on, which, again, critical supplies in space. And then, again, as you say, the last step then is to get those precious minerals uh, from the asteroids and bring them to Earth. One way would be to launch equipment to a distant asteroid already explored previously by a souped-up space telescope. Another might be to use a small spacecraft to bring a smallish asteroid near the Earth, and a rock could be brought into orbit around the moon where it could then be mined, or it could be both. A small operation could start work while the asteroid is being towed to Earth getting a few years head start. Sounds like a great plan there, because why waste that time that is in transit when you could be harvesting it along the way? All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get back to all this. Uh, So hang in there one second. And we're back. A lot of really great information on this came from a blog called Bad Astronomy by Discover Magazine. So if you guys want to check out a little bit more about this, I believe there are several articles on this. But one of the really interesting things that came out of Bad Astronomy is why exactly they're doing this. Because I thought, well, obviously they're looking for some money here, right? Right. That is the first thing. But here's the deal. This could be big money, right? Trillions. But this is not money that they'll probably see, these investors will see in their lifetime is very possible because this is going to take a while. And this really is much more about sustainable space exploration, which I think is the coolest part about this. Yeah. I mean, there's a some critics have pointed out that there is a certain level of ego trip to this as well. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. so, so it's yeah. very much involved. This is like Richard Branson. You can take your suborbital flight and put it in your pipe and smoke it because we are going to go mine an asteroid. Yeah. The- I mean, you know, in terms of like... Guys though hanging does, out. Though Branson does have the ice cube shaped like his own head, and that's yeah, they're going to have to top that. But one of the things I thought was amazing about this is that they already have positive cash flow, or so they claim. They're just working on getting phase one up yeah. and going. But they already have relationships with NASA. They mm-hmm. have money coming in. It is a functional company at this point. Well, I mean, the idea is that it could be a win-win for NASA, too, because they could then have access to materials and information. Right. They could sell some things back to NASA. It's really cool stuff. The way that it's being planned out, obviously, it's very, like, baby steps, and it's very careful in the way. And, like, they realize this is a very difficult thing to do. You just don't well, go lassoing an asteroid. Well, but their argument is it's difficult, but it's not impossible. Exactly. And if you look at these, the pros and the cons are kind of summed up in this as well. Yeah. You have these three steps. Step one, finding asteroids, very doable. We've done it. It can be done. No doubt about it. Step two, travel to an asteroid, it can be done. Mm-hmm. We already mentioned it. We've done it before. Right. That's, that's definitely doable. Step three, swarms of robots mining asteroids. Not so much. That's a, At <laughs> right, this point, we're the... getting into a level of technology that we haven't perfected, we haven't tested, we haven't worked out all the kinks. That doesn't mean it's not doable. It's very doable, but that is more of a leap in technology. Now, by the time we get they get to phase three, mm-hmm. you could argue that, well, the technology will be there or the companies aligned with them will have developed it. But some critics have pointed out that that is a potential flaw in the plan in that there is a fairly large gap between the 200 series and the 300 series. Right. Time, money, and technology, right? Those are some of the cons. Another con is that this is not for planetary resources per se, but similar operations like mining the moon, where Mm -hmm. the the idea is not the mining the asteroid, but the moon could deplete moon's materials, our moon's materials. So that's not something that people are 
totally excited about, but still, it's a different animal here. Pros, we should talk about this. The future of space exploration is not dead, at least from a perspective here in the U.S. where we've shuttered so much of our space exploration. The expense is not footed by the public, but by private companies, so that's good. And then, again, NASA has access to materials and information. There's also this idea that we can learn so much more, uh, not just about space, but specifically asteroids. It could give us insight into how to effectively divert an Earth-bound asteroid. Right. Okay, so we've talked about this. It's not just the movie Armageddon, Ben Affleck saving the Earth. We don't need Ben Affleck anymore. It's very possible that by observing asteroids and by actually successfully mining them and spending time on them, that we could figure out a way to divert them from becoming meteorites crashing into us. Because as we know, or suspect 65 million years ago, this could have very well been the reason for dinosaurs becoming extinct. But there were no dinosaur entrepreneurs with the habit and the know-how to turn an incoming asteroid into profit. It's true. If only they had started studying filmmaking and possibly filming the Titanic. Yeah, I'm thinking of like, specifically I'm imagining a Branson Osaurus creature. Again, not that he's uh, he's involved. In I, I imagine him as a T-Rex, I have to say, rather than like a Diplodocus or something. <laughs> but this really is a big concern. I mean, we talk about Armageddon. It seems ridiculous that, you know, the movie Armageddon. But dozens of asteroids have been classified as potentially hazardous by the scientists who track them. Some of them come pretty close to Earth. And I think, wasn't it in Siberia in the early 2000s? There was one that crashed. Well, yeah, and Earth. if you go farther back than that, you, of course, encounter the Tunguska event. Oh, yeah. Where, um, luckily, it hit the, in the middle of nowhere. But yeah. the same kind of strike, had it occurred in Europe, would have been disastrous. Yeah. yeah I think I've mentioned before, when in fiction, in movies, in comic books, someone saves the world every day saves the world. Mm -hmm. And in reality, about the only thing that we have, the only effort that we can definitely say, this may save the world one day, in a very tangible manner, are our near-Earth object protection efforts. The idea of let's figure out how to divert an incoming near-Earth object before it actually hits the planet. That's one of those situations where you can definitely point to that and say, yes, if we develop this technology and we get it refined, we're tracking everything, and then we have the ability to actually alter the course of one that's headed towards us, that could save the planet in a very very real and very meaningful way. But then, of course, there's the problem of asteroid miners like hanging out mining and possibly getting chunked in the head with a bit of space chunk. Well, that's a whole nother. Yeah, that's a whole nother, uh, ball of twine. So there you go, asteroid mining. We'll obviously have much more information on it in the coming year, but it is very exciting stuff. And what's going on with our robot over there? Oh yes, the robot is coming over here with some listener mail. Before I get into the mail, I do want to point out we had a few people write in about our planetary scale episode. Oh yeah, and I think we kind of tripped over our words there and messed up a little bit on the size of Earth versus the size of Venus. Mm-hmm. just want to point out that Venus has a diameter that is about 95% of Earth's. So Earth is bigger than Venus. But. Yeah, I think that we definitely messed up when we switched those around. And that's what happens when you start comparing things to peppercorns. Yeah. And I think we, we were specifically talking about like black peppercorns versus red peppercorns. Learn your lesson there. Pantry items, planetary sizes... Be warned. Here's a quick listener mail from our listener, Peter. Peter writes in and says, Hey, Julian Robert, I heard your podcast on lucid dreams a couple of weeks ago, and I was completely mind-blown. The pun wasn't actually intended, at least consciously. Reason being that in the beginning, you named all the types of dreams Van Eden studied and briefly talked about a dream 
I have once in a while. I barely remember my dreams, but these are memorable. It's a dream type number six, and I'm just going to refer out to a second. This would be dream sensations, in which there are no visions, no images, no events, not even a word or a name. But during a long time of deep sleep, the mind is continually occupied with one person, one place, one remarkable event, or even one abstract thought. So then Peter went on to ask for a little more detail on it, and we sent him some links. But I found that very interesting, because that, that was one of the dream types where I didn't have any personal experience with dreams of that kind, and I was very curious if any of our listeners had. So, appreciate hearing about it. Yeah. If you have any thoughts you would like to share with us, if you've had interesting dreams, and you have some thoughts on our Lucid Dreams episode, by all means, write us. And if you have any thoughts about the future of asteroid mining, and uh, how that might play out, let us know about that as well. You can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, we are Stuff to Blow Your Mind. And on Twitter, we are Blow the Mind. And you can also drop us a line at blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.